This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. On today's Analytics podcast episode number 169, I'll be joined by Nick Filipowski, sports anchor at Channel 4 News in Buffalo. We'll talk plenty of Buffalo Bills. Plenty of Buffalo Sabres, quite frankly, a very lousy week for both teams. We'll get into discussions on each. Plenty more with Nick coming up in just a minute. Want to let you know that today's episode is being brought to you by 26 Shirts. At 26 Shirts, a different Buffalo-themed design is sold every two weeks, and then it's gone. Here's the best part. For every shirt sold, they make a donation to either a local family in need to a worthy charity, and since 2013, their designs have managed to raise and donate, get this folks, over $650,000, absolutely incredible, Del Reed and his crew, they do such an amazing job enriching the lives of other people, it's just great to see, not to mention, by the way, these are outstanding looking design shirts, they look good on you, they're comfortable, very sporty to wear, head on over to 26shirts.com and see what cause needs you this week. All right, let's do this podcast. Let's do it. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, episode 169, we're live. My guest is a sports anchor at WIVB TV, Channel 4 News in Buffalo. Had him on the podcast once before. Back again today, my man Nick Filipowski. What's going on, Nick? How you doing? I'm good, Pat. How you doing, man? I've been really good. I had Again, for everyone out there listening, I had Nick back on, what was it? Episode, it was 61, October of last year. I recommend yeah. fans who didn't catch that episode go back, give it a listen. That was like the Nick Filipowski life and career episode. A lot of fun yeah. to do, man. I learned a lot about you that day, too. In fact, I remember you spent a nice chunk of your early years in Japan, son of a I military did, yeah. family. Yep, yep. I'll tell you what, real quick, before we get into we're obviously going to be talking Bills and Sabres. That's why I got you on the pod today. But for people out there who might not have an opportunity to go back and listen to that entire episode, tell us about that. How did you end up in Japan as a kid? Yeah, so my dad was in the military um, and was stationed over there twice right after I was born to when I was three. Um, I was over there, and then from the end of my sixth grade year up until my senior year of high school, I was over there. So it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I always tell people if there's a place you can go on vacation, I know everybody likes to go to the Bahamas or, like, someplace exotic, um, get over, get overseas to, to Japan because it is, it is an experience. If there's one place that I could live the rest of my life, Japan would probably be it. Yeah, that's so cool, man, to have that kind of a life experience. Anyway, again, episode 61, people go back, listen to it. Let's jump right into some Buffalo Bills talk here at the top. I'll tell you what, Nick, I mean, before this Browns game, I feel like my biggest personal complaint was that the Bills at 6-2 and two 
we're getting a lack of respect around the NFL, around the league, around media circles, other fan yeah. bases, stuff like that. I've spoken with a few beat reporters from different teams this year. I had Zach Cox on in New England, Mary Kay Cabot just last week from Cleveland. And the vibe I got is that, you know, I just feel like the Bills weren't getting enough respect. But I'll tell you, i got to be honest with you, man. After this Browns game, I feel like my new take is I'm starting to wonder if they deserve a lot of respect. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And I think, I think it really goes back to the Miami game, was it three or four weeks ago now? I mean, they look, they should have absolutely stomped the Dolphins in that game. I mean, foot on their throat, just completely taking them out of the game in the first quarter. And it took a Trey White interception at the two-yard line with the Dolphins threatening to go up two scores yeah. and a Trey White forced fumble for them to get their act together and pull out a win. And then you've got the Philadelphia game, which uh, Philadelphia obviously was better than what their record said. Um, that was an ugly loss. And then you've got the Washington game where they get run all over. They're, they're kind of in the same situation where they need this, you know, epic kind of comeback. And that was a team that they should have had their foot on their throat and been able to just impose their will for four, for four quarters, and it never happened. And I think, I think the Browns game on Sunday was kind of um, a microcosm of the season, if you will, where the offense has not been great since week one. They've really struggled to, to, to find an identity and get into a rhythm. Um, you know, the defense for, for all of their, you know, we want to be on the field at the end of the game in those situations where we can win it. The defense should have never been in a situation to begin with in the, in Cleveland to have to, win another game for this team. This offense has got to get it together. Brian Dable has got to get it together. Josh Allen has got to get it together because you cannot score 14 points in a game um, like this offense did. And the defense scored two. I I know it it doesn't say a lot that they scored two points, but those are two pivotal points that the Bills needed to to be even, quote-unquote, competitive and in this game. Um, But in 2019 in the NFL, your offense – better be able to go up and down the field, score at will, and put points on the board. And this offense has not shown an ability to do that all season long. I want to talk about a couple of people that you just mentioned. I'm not going to deep dive into the actual game itself because by the time people are listening to this, it's Tuesday morning. It kind of feels like old news. And hopefully, anyway, we'll be on to Miami on Sunday. But Brian Dable, let's talk about him for a few minutes, okay? Yep. If you look at the stats, 41 passing play calls. This is a one-score game from the first snap all the way until literally the last snap of the game. Only 14 carries by the running backs, and that's if you include one from Patrick DeMarco. Four calls were designed for Allen to run 36 pass calls, direct pass calls. How does that happen, especially given last week? Now, Devin Singletary missed several weeks with the hamstring. He comes back against Washington. He carries the ball 20 times for 95 yards. He looks great. Only has eight carries against the Browns. Averages five yards per carry, but again, only eight carries in a game that yeah. was close the entire way through. How does this offense right now on a quarterback who's probably not ready for that kind of workload throwing the ball 40, 41 times a game right now? What's going on with Brian Dable, and why is he doing that in your opinion? Yeah, I think it's just kind of gross negligence, to be honest with you. I mean, Devin Singletary, I mean, look, you go all the way back to, to week one, right? They didn't get Devin Singletary involved in this offense. Brian Dable didn't get him involved in this offense until the second half, and you can, you can make the argument that Devin Singletary kind of willed them 
to that week one win um, against the Jets with, with what he was able to do and the plays he was able to make. It makes no sense to come off the game that he did and then limit his touches the way that they did. And I think I think he had seven receptions in that game. I think three or four were on that final drive. Um, it's it's borderline inexcusable. And I understand hey that they have a they have a, a quote unquote process and a flow that they want to get into and they want to have an identity. Well, your identity is you cut LaShawn McCoy because of how dynamic and how much of a playmaker Devin Singletary is, right? I mean, so what, injury aside, if he's on the field, you have to assume he's 100% healthy. You can't kind of baby him along whether he's a rookie or not. If he's a playmaker and he's dynamic and he can move the chains and he can make special things happen, he should be getting the ball. I, I, it's funny you, you bring up Josh Allen throwing 41 times. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm battling a cold. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I tweeted that, that there's only certain quarterbacks in this league who should be allowed to throw 41 times in a game. Brady, Breeze, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes. Um, I think there's was, there was one other guy on that list. Um, everybody else, don't even come at me with, oh, they're good enough to, to throw 40 times in a game and win. Because the, the, the reality is Josh Allen – I mean, look, he's lucky to throw for like 160 yards a game right now, which, I mean, it's it's not great in year two in, in terms of the leap I think people wanted to see him make. But also I think year two, the progression, they ha- kind of had a press reset from, from what they were thrown into uh, a year ago with the disaster of, of Nathan Peterman and A.J. McCarron and how that debacle all rolled out. There, there was no excuse for Josh Allen to be throwing 41 times. Um, Certainly, there's, not, there's certainly really, not in a one-score game, too. I mean, it's one thing. If you're down 24 points in the second half, sure, let it fly. But it's a competitive game the entire way through. Right. And think about how they – I think it was the Bengals game, right, where they where they ran the ball and, and killed the, the final four minutes of that game, if I remember correctly. Um, but you, you have an offense that, that can't run a ball. And the Browns' defense was – I mean, look, it was wide open, right? I mean, that rush defense for, for the, the Browns, I think, was ranked – 30th. The bottom half of the league. 30th. Right? That's actually 30th, um, yeah. So it really doesn't make a lot of sense as to why you wouldn't just turn and give the 26 and say, hey, man, go do something special. And the fact that they didn't, they kind of ignored him, um, it, it's not a good look for, for Brian Dable right now. Now let me ask you this. Let's single, or, uh, circle back to Singletary for a minute here. You covered a team. You're around them enough. The players. It feels like to fans, Devin Singletary is like this star player just waiting to emerge. I mean, they brought him along very slowly to begin the season, and then he got hurt and he was out. And then they kind of unleashed him against Washington. And we're like, all right, man, this is the start of a new offense. I'm really looking forward to seeing how this goes. And then they were back to, like, kind of kitty gloves with him on Sunday against Cleveland. The vibe you get from the players, maybe, that you've talked to, just the vibe, does it feel like the players feel like this guy is ready to contribute a lot more than he is right now, as opposed to, say, the coaches that, I mean, they could say whatever they want to say, but at the end of the day, touches matter. And he's just not touching the ball the way, I don't care if he's a rookie or not, the way a kid who's a very talented player, he's just not getting the touches right now. Yeah, I mean, being in the locker room, I mean, we ask those questions, and guys are very careful with, with what they say yeah. because they don't want it to be perceived a certain way in the media. You, you know what I mean? Like, sure. they're, they're, they're very guarded. And I understand where they're coming from in that perspective. But at the same point in time, you know, there, there is this they, – they reiterate a lot, look, we know we got to get the ball into our playmakers' hands. And based on body language and the way they look for you, when we ask the question, we know exactly what they're talking about, right? You know, you, you, you've got to be able to feed the kid. You've got to be able to get the ball to John Bryant. You've got to be able to get the ball to Cole Beasley. 
Um, but when it comes to the running game, you know, Frank, Frank Gore is still a very capable running back at 36 years old. But he's more of a straight-line runner, lower his shoulder, be the bruising back um, that he's kind of been his entire career. Uh, Devin Singletary adds adds that level of electricity, right? I mean, I mean, he makes guys miss, and he, he doesn't just make them miss, but he makes them miss and look stupid. Sure. Um, and at the end of the day, if you're not going to, to feed your playmakers and if, if you're not going to run an offense where – you know, the, the best players and the players that give you the best chance to make plays, keep the chains moving, and maybe bust off a big one. If you're not doing that, then what, 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 what are we doing here, right? Right. Um, I, I think th- this is a week where we maybe might see <clears throat> things kind of explode for this offense, if you will, because if they go down to Miami and they lay an absolute egg, this season is really going to get flipped on its head. And this offense, you know, now they have to go to Miami, facing a very confident you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick and, and, and Brian Flores-led team. They've won two straight games, and it's not by accident, right? I mean, they, they could have easily won three straight going back to the, you know, the, the game here in Orchard Park. Yeah. Um, so this offense, it better get it, it, itself together within the next four or five days because if they go down to Miami and they lay an absolute egg, the, the storm that is going to come down on them from fans and from the media is not going to be fun. Let's go back to Brian Gable. I want to ask you about clock management near the end of the game, and I want to preface it by saying Horrendous. Well. Yes, and I want to preface something, okay? I'm not that guy who sits there every week and blames the offensive coordinator because we hear that way too much. To me, generally speaking, that's kind of a cop-out for players. When you're always blaming the coach, you're always blaming the coordinator, you're kind of letting the players off the hook. I feel the same way, not just football, other sports too. You know, managers get blasted for decisions all the time in baseball. But you know what? The manager's not at the batter's box. Strike it out. And they keep playing right. the game. You know what I'm saying? So generally speaking, right. I put it on players. But this clock management thing at the end of the game, it's they need a field goal to tie, obviously, a touchdown to win. They get the ball to 25. They move it to Cleveland's 41 real quick. No issues at all. And then they're faced with the second and 10. There's 59 seconds left. I'm looking at the play call list right now. Josh Allen hits Devin Singletary for 60 yards in the right flag. He tries to get out of bounds. He can. He gets tackled in bounds. The clock keeps running. They didn't run a play for a full 30 seconds. And then I, yeah, was, they huddled, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, right? they went into a full they, huddle. They huddled. Yeah, that makes absolutely no sense to me. The sense of urgency was definitely not there. Right. I think it's going to be a sticking point moving forward because, you know, it, it, that's one of those situations where think about the, the, some of the other quarterbacks in this league. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, what are they – like, they know what's happening in that sequence, right? This is what you script all week long. If we're in this situation and we have X amount of time on the clock, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. The fact that they had to huddle was not a good look because they wasted so much time, right? You could have gotten off another play, another two plays, maybe three plays. If you go no huddle and you, you go with some tempo and you try to catch the Browns on their heels, right? Um, it, it really made no, no sense to me at all. Yeah, and not just that. They throw it's third and four and they try to deep pass and out to John Brown, and we heard on Monday that John Brown said that he didn't look the right way, that the pass might have looked bad on TV, but in reality, the pass itself wasn't really Josh Allen's fault. It would have been him back shoulder play. But my point is, they wait 30 seconds. It's third and four. They're looking at a 53-yard field goal. They have a timeout, by the way, in their pocket as well. So it's not like they're right. even operating with no timeouts. We did see a still Is that shot. also the play where, where Cole Beasley was open at the top? That's of the, the same game. play. 
yeah. wide open. Now, yeah. a lot of people who want to defend Josh Allen, and I can understand it to a certain extent, they're like, well, he had to get rid of the ball quickly because Miles or Garrett Miles was barreling on him. Deion Dawkins, who had major issues blocking him the entire game, he was barreling in, so he didn't have really time to look. He had to get rid of the ball. But, yes, Cole Beasley was wide open. But my point is, why not design a play, especially if you have a timeout left, that maybe he's designed to get 10 to 12 yards and make it a 40-yard field goal at worst because it was quite obvious when they went into huddle for 30 seconds that they weren't trying to score a touchdown and win the game, that they right. were trying to get to overtime. How much of that do you put on Brian Dable? As much as I can't stand a Josh Allen apologist, who the guy can never do no wrong and there's always an excuse, and in that situation, don't you feel like that's more on Brian Dable than anything else? Yeah, I mean, you got to run to the sticks, right? I mean, yeah. make a play to the sticks, like run it, run it out, run something. Don't don't run a you know a thirty yard route down the field. It doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. But the other thing too, at the same point in time, is I, I also I think if I'm not mistaken, the Browns blitzed on that play too. Yeah. And Josh Allen against the blitz has not been good this year whatsoever. I think he struggles to identify who his hot read is and who he needs to get the ball out to and making the correct call at the line of scrimmage so that he can have an opportunity to get rid of the ball quick, to neutralize that pass rush, to, to let his playmakers make you know make a catch and, and get into space and see what happens. Um, that, that whole play sequence, I mean, it starts with Brian Dable, right? I mean, it really does. Yeah. And it was going back to earlier in the game, there was a third and three, and they ran verticals, and Josh – through a deep pass to Cole Beasley. Like, that didn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, it starts with Brian Dable. Maybe they're maybe they're trying to reinvent the wheel, so to speak. I don't know if that might, is, is the right way to, 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 to describe it. But on third and three, if your bread and butter is, let's get, let's get to the sticks, let, let's go with the underneath stuff, the intermediate stuff that is, is what Josh has been doing this year because he hasn't been able to hit the deep ball. Um. You know, let's let's go with what we know could work or should work, rather than, you know, let's let's take a flyer on a vertical. Let's see what happens there. Like that, I think it starts with Brian Dable. Yeah, and when you mentioned Cole Beasley, I mean, I feel like that is literally the reason why they signed Cole Beasley, the chain mover, the guy that you could go to that you could trust when it's third and five, third and six. That's the guy that you're looking for nine out of ten times, and that's not the way it's playing out. One of the reasons why I wanted to have a discussion with you on the podcast this week is because I feel like when it comes to Josh Allen, you're pretty unbiased. I feel like there's a camp out there, again, I call him the Josh Allen apologist, where no matter what he does, there's always going to be an excuse, no matter what. And then there's also, in fairness to Josh Allen, another camp that just hates the kid, and no matter what he does, there's always going to be something negative to say about him, no matter what. I kind of feel like you call it down the middle when it comes to him. And I'm at the point where I'm going to be honest with you, I don't think it's too early, and I don't think it's unfair to start wondering how much progress has Josh Allen made and how much improvement has he made? And sure, he can and he probably will get a little better in smaller increments over the next right. maybe year or so. But at this point, at the trajectory that he's going at right now, is that going to be enough to be anything more or at least significantly more than what we've seen right now? Well, let me ask you this. And I've, I've thought about this and we've I, I've bounced this off Josh and I've bounced this off, off Jen as well. What if for Josh and, and, and Sean McDermott and Brian Dable, what if year two is actually year one, right? Because last year he was thrown into the fire. They didn't really have the chance to have this year where they could build him up into what they wanted him to be, right? Aiden right. Peterman, dumpster fire, he had to go in. They didn't really have another choice. Their backs were against the wall, and they had to play him. 
Right. Um, and I, I, I wonder, and this is me wondering, um, you know, how much of last year was just, Josh, do, do what you think you can do and just let it rip and we'll live and die by whatever happens. And I think the offseason this year was we're going to break you down and we're going to build you back up into the model and the quarterback that we, we think we can build you into and who we think you can be, and we're going to put it all together. It's going to be this year and next year, and next year is when we see everything really kind of come together, if that makes sense. That actually makes a lot of sense. When you look back at last year, he was completely thrown into the fire. I don't think the plan was for Josh Allen to be a starter after one game or two games into the season. You put in, you factor in the fact that he had a historically bad offensive line, right. and Zay Jones and Robert Foster, for better or for worse, were his two best weapons on offense to throw the ball to, as well as a, a broken down Charles Clay. And yeah, I kind of feel like the deck to some extent was stacked against him. So yeah, that does actually make good sense. Just go out there, do the best you can, and this year is going to be the year where we kind of break it down. In terms of good, from what we've seen, even maybe from week nine, I suppose all the way back at week one of this year. I do feel like he's starting to do a better job of getting rid of the football. Like, once he's on the run, he is throwing it out of bounds some. Anyway, he's not throwing the ball across the body, you know, doing something crazy like that. He's now gone four games without an interception. And, I mean, again, you can't take that away. That That's no small feat, especially for a guy like him to go four games without an interception. And also, you know, I also feel touchdown passes are kind of an overrated stat when it comes to someone like Josh Allen. He's only got 10. Yeah. But he also has six rushing touchdowns. A guy like Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, they're not going to run the ball like he does. So I kind of feel like no. you need to add that to the mix as well. So, so we're you know, everyone out there listening, it, and it's clear, I'm not bashing Josh Allen saying the guy stinks and he's watched stuff, and I know you're certainly not either. There are enough good things that you see about him that the optimistic Josh Allen fan you feel like you could build off of, right? Absolutely. I mean, look, I think, you know, Going into this year, my my thought process was if he throws for 3,500 yards and 25 touchdowns, I think that's progress, right? Sure. Um, but he's still, I mean, the, the fact that he's throwing for 150 yards in a game, 160 yards in a game, like that's not real encouraging. Uh, but kind of going back to the, the thought that I brought up earlier with me kind of wondering if year two is technically year one for this, for, for, for his progress, um, if we get to next year and he's still throwing 167 yards a game, 150 yards a game, then I think you're going to be in a position where you're like, now, now you got to think about, okay, we need, we need to start diving into the prospects because this is clearly not going to work, yeah. um, which is going to be a problem, uh, I think. Um, you know, the, the other thing is, too, is, you know, I go back to the, the Philadelphia game and the Washington game. And those two, for me, Bad weather games, really windy, not the greatest of conditions. And what do we hear from Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott about Josh Allen and, and being able to play football in Buffalo, right? Yeah. you got to be able to throw it in terrible elements. you got to be able to throw it, you know, when the wind's blowing 40 miles an hour. you got to be able to blow it in a rainstorm, throw it in a rainstorm. you got to be able to throw it in a snowstorm. Well, in pretty crappy conditions, he didn't throw the ball all too well, in my opinion. Right. Um, and, you know, that's that's one of those – okay, they, they kind of give you this soundbite, you know, throughout the process of drafting him and, and bringing him along about, oh, he's got this big rocket arm and, and he can do all these special things, you know, especially in bad weather. But it's like, I, 
He's really not doing it. I mean, he has throws that, wow, you don't get me wrong, um, especially on the run like you mentioned. But if, if you're going to tout this guy, you know, as somebody who can throw for 400 yards in a blinding rainstorm, I mean, you might want to pull the reins back on that just a little bit because the, the, the progress, I, I feel like, has not been as exponential. The, the jump has not been as great as maybe it should be this year. When it comes to the more negative things, obviously it's maddening how inconsistent he can be with his accuracy, although in fairness to him, that's not something that's really unexpected to us. You know, going back to that Cleveland game, I remember it was early. I think it was the first quarter. It was the first quarter. Dawson Knox dropped the third down pass, which wasn't the easiest catch in the world to make, but by all means, he absolutely should have caught the ball. And then yeah, the next, hit him square in the hands. Yeah, exactly. And then on the next play on third down, I don't remember if it was it was either Beasley or Brown, but he threw a terrible pass on third down to a wide. It was John Brown. He was open. Yeah, and, and he it just was behind threw, him. Yeah, it was behind him. It was a really bad pass. I also remember that fourth and four play, which I want to talk actually about that specific play because a holding call was tied into that, and that was in the fourth quarter. It was fourth down. Four yards, you do a bad pass to John Brown. I kind of feel like when it comes to that stuff, that's never going to change. You're going to have to live and die with that. But my question for you is, why is he throwing such a poor deep ball? It happened again on Sunday. Isaiah McKenzie gets at least two steps behind the defense. Even a, Not even a good pass. A decent pass results in a touchdown, and he sails it five yards over his head. And that's been the case this year. I literally can't think of one long ball he's connected on. He's probably about 0 for 10, 0 for 11, something like that. On deep passes, what's going on with Josh Allen in the deep ball? I think he's got the yips, to be honest with you. I mean, as simple as, I mean, right? I mean, um, you know, we've, we've seen it with pitchers before where they can't hit the strike zone to save their life. Yeah. It's kind of like a mental block. And I think this is just one of those blocks. And he kind of, I think he alluded to it without coming out and saying it. But he did, I think it was in the press conference, um, you know, post-game on Sunday, he said, he doesn't want to underthrow it and have it be intercepted, have it be intercepted, which I think is a, a legit fear for him. Which, for a guy who has the arm that he has, it, that you you can't be fearful of throwing the deep ball. You just can't. Um, and I think to some extent, there's definitely some hesitancy there when when he when he cocks back and he wants to let it rip. Um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's definitely definitely a mental block issue for him right now. And it's all, the fumbling is a big-time issue. It happened yet again on Sunday. Oh, yeah. Got lucky. Well, had John Feliciano not, not been a ballerina and, and, and made some type of miraculous scoop there, um, that game was going to be even worse. Yeah. And bottom line, I feel like right now Josh Allen's kind of like a flash player. He'll make a highlight reel type play, a couple great throws a game. He'll, he'll escape the pocket. He'll make a great run. He'll run somebody over. But he's not, like, even close enough to being consistent right now to be considered a great a very good, or you know what, hell, even a, a good quarterback right now. I still feel like he's got a long way to go, but at the same token, and I think this is what makes such a, a touchy topic when it comes to Josh Allen, because it's also, especially by your logic, that essentially in some ways this is sort of like his rookie year as a starter. It's just entirely way too early to give up on the kid and even start thinking about what are we going to do with quarterback in one or two years at this point. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, look. They drafted him seventh overall, so you're not going to want to bail on the guy, right? Um, but at the same point in time, you you know you're going to get to a point in year three, maybe late year three, early year four, where you have to make that decision, right? Because think about the quarterback situations around the league now, right? Jameis Winston, that that hasn't worked out in Tampa. Marcus Mariota, that certainly has not worked out, um, you know, 
in Tennessee. I mean, r- really, with the exception of Patrick Mahomes, maybe, um, and a few others, the quarterback situations around the National Football League have not been great, right? I mean, yeah. the, the 49ers, it, it's, been a, it's been a carousel of disasters up until, you know, they traded for Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, so they, they have to figure it out because it, the, the process cannot be a, a, a 10-year adventure for this franchise, right? Because I don't, there'll be a massive insurrection, you know, by this fan base, you know, if, if that's ultimately what their plan is. You know, by, by the end of, you know, by, by close to the end of next year, early into his fourth year, they better know who they have at quarterback. And if they don't, it, it's, it's a win-now league, right? Yeah. If you don't have, you know, the position locked down at the most important position in the NFL, you're not going to be able to do anything. We saw what happened, you know, almost two decades where it was terrible, mediocre quarterbacks who couldn't get it together that the organization kind of reached on. And, you know, they, you, you can't have a repeat uh, of that situation. Do you think that it's a little bit easier in today's NFL to get away from a quarterback and move on to the next guy as opposed to maybe 10, 15 years ago when there was no salary cap for rookies and, you know, you could give a guy a, a, like Sam Bradford, he got a, a trillion-dollar signing bonus. You were kind of married to that guy for at least five years. Where in today's NFL, yeah, it sucks to lose a top-ten pick, you know, and draft a bust but the financial ramifications of moving on from a quarterback after maybe only two to three years aren't what they used to be in the past where you had half your salary cap tied into a starting quarterback. You're not going to just throw him on the bench. But in today's NFL, like say, maybe you give him, the, obviously he's going to get this year and obviously he's going to get all of next year. But if you don't like where he's at, maybe at the end of 2020 and you got a top 10 pick and you really like a quarterback, you could go get one in today's NFL. And it's not going to, if nothing else, it's not going to destroy your salary cap because your third-year quarterback who is new to the league isn't taking up $18, $20 million in cap room. Yeah. No, you're spot on with that. But, I, I mean, look, if you can, if you can market it, I mean, you can sell them and you can convince, you can convince the, the, the fan base and the owners that this is, this is the future, you know, guy, guy B and not guy A, then, yeah, you, you, you make that move 10 out of 10 times. I feel like there's a couple other smaller things. You know, we could spend all night talking about Brian Dable and Josh Allen with the offense, but the, the offensive line didn't really do him a lot of favors on Sunday either. They had four holding penalties. Well, at least if you count Lee Smith as one of the linemen, which at this point that's kind of like a weekly thing where he gets a holding penalty. He also had a false start, by the way. Yeah, his penalties are an issue. Yeah, they are. And Deion Dawkins, he really struggled. But in fairness to him, Miles Garrett is going to make a lot of guys struggle. I'm not really down. Right on Deion Dawkins, but when you take this offensive line as a whole right now, through nine games, and I don't want to just compare them to last year because that's unfair. That's setting the bar way too low because almost any offensive line would be better than it was last year. But yeah. the performance of this offensive line as a, as an entire unit right now, what's your take on that through nine weeks? I think they've been good. I, I think there is some truth to the um, you know, the continuity and being able to, to build some camaraderie. I mean, because at the end of the day, there, there were enough injuries in the preseason that they really weren't able to get a, a starting five-step really up until week one. Yeah. Week one, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, Fair point. And look, if you've, if you've, you know, you, you've got those five guys now, you know, it, it's, it's pretty much set across the board. And if you can take the steps that you made this year, because I think they they haven't been blow your socks off spectacular like 
we've seen in years past, you know, when there was, you know, when it was Dion and it was Richie and it was, uh, you know, Eric Wood, you, you know, I, I think maybe next year is where we really see this offensive line take that step that, that we want to see, right, where they can continue to, to bulldoze and they can really kind of be able to kind of have that sixth sense where they know, okay, this is the play call. I know this guy is going to be here then. I know this guy is going to be over here then. And you don't really have to worry about it or really kind of think, right? I mean, if you don't have to think, you're able to play faster. You're able to, to, to get to, to, to where you need to go and execute at a higher level. But if you have to think at all, well, then, you, then you're a step behind, and then you're playing kind of catch-up a little bit. I think we've seen that at times with the offensive line this year where they haven't been in sync and on the same page. But I think by the end of this season, we'll have a good idea of what they have going into next year. I feel like for the rest of this season, that right tackle position is going to kind of remain if they both stay healthy as is kind of a sort of a platoon. Maybe they go with the hot hand between Ford and Nseki. But going into maybe next year, do you see Cody Ford playing tackle or do you see him playing guard? Um, I, I mean, I think he's he's been good at tackle. I mean, Ty, Ty Nseki, though, I think there was a stat early on in the year where he was he was the tackle on like nine on like nine of, of 14 scoring drives, I think it was, for the Bills. And I think, you know, that that's something that has to go. I don't know what those numbers look like now. Um, but Ty Nseki, I mean, even even with Cody Ford's injury uh, to his elbow, has really done done a good job uh, locking down the right tackle spot. It would not surprise me if Cody Ford moves inside to guard. But then you've got Quentin Spain there who's really quietly – put together a, a pretty good season, right? Yeah. Um, and you've got John Feliciano, who's put together a, a really good season. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see where they ultimately slot him in at. Um, but w- whether it's it's tackle or guard, I mean, I think long-term, he could be the, the right tackle, uh, and they could find somebody else to slide into guard. But maybe going into next year, maybe he does go to guard, and then, you know, they kind of you know, go, go about things that way. I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about the defense. Kind of, you know, it's unofficially becoming a trend of allowing yards and big plays and running backs, especially in the first half. Philly carved him up for over 200 on the ground a couple of weeks ago. Adrian Peterson went over 100 in the first half last week. This week it was Nick Chubb. He had over 80 yards in the first half, like 116 for the game. Now, for two straight weeks, they did do a better job of locking things down better in the second half. But they can't stop the run in the first half, and I feel like that's starting to become a very big problem for this team. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, the, the smelling salts need to come out earlier than halftime. Um, yeah. Cause it's, almost, it's almost like, you know, you always hear everybody has a plan until they get hit in the mouth, and then they're, they're kind of staggered, and then, oh, then what do we do? And I feel like that's kind of been the case the last couple weeks. And Micah Hyde kind of alluded to this a little bit, where if you put something on tape and you haven't fixed it, teams are going to know you haven't fixed it, and they're just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again until – you know, you stop it. Um, you know, the, the first half struggles are really kind of perplexing um, considering, you know, Leslie Frazier and, and his defensive IQ, Sean McDermott and his defensive IQ, and really the talent on on the Bills' defense, right? It doesn't make a lot of sense as to why the struggles have been so great. I think at the end of the day, not having Harrison Phillips has, has been an issue for them in trying to, to find that, big body that can be a space eater but also make plays in the yeah. run game. Yep. Um, I mean, cause let's, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. I mean, jo- Jordan Phillips, absolutely dynamic, but he's more of a, 
pass rush defensive lineman than he is a, you know, plug a hole, stop stop the run game type guy, right? Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, it's definitely it's concerning, and you know when when the offense isn't able to, you know, put together long scoring drives and you know they they have to punt, you know that defense is gonna is gassed, right? I mean you're on the field for however many minutes, you know the offense has the ball for two minutes and they punt. Well, the next drive they you know opposing offense comes out and they have a seven minute drive. Well then Josh Allen comes back out and they're on the field for a minute. And that off that defense has to suck some air real quick and get back out there. It's, it's not easy. But they they got to find a way to plug those holes and, and, and get that run defense fixed. Yeah, and it's not going to get any easier. I mean, they got guys like Mark Ingram and Ezekiel Elliott, James Conner, and he played New England again, Le'Veon Bell for the Jets. He's not having a great year, but he's, he's always a threat. So there's a lot of good running backs coming up on this schedule, Ed Oliver specifically, okay? I mean, we're seeing his playing time completely shrink at this point. He only played 33% of the staffs in Cleveland. He didn't have a stat. He didn't have a tackle. Kind of similar to Washington last week where his snap uh, count was reduced greatly. Uh, Jordan Phillips, you mentioned him. He's kind of, not kind of, he has completely taken over that position for the time being. Now, I know yeah. defensive tackle, it's a hard position to be good at physically as a rookie in the NFL, as well as mentally. I mean, you're going against guys who've been in the league for the most part for a very long time. They're big, they're strong, they're smart. So to come in as a rookie as a defensive tackle and be a stud, that's you know raising the bar a little bit too high. But it's also hard to not confess that his rookie year, and I'm talking about Ed Oliver here, it's gotten worrisome, at least for me. How do you feel about that? Um, I, I'm not necessarily worried. It's actually funny you, you bring up the transition as a defensive tackle, um, as a rookie. I actually talked extensively with Jordan Phillips about it. And Jordan Phillips looked at me and said, look, if there's, if there's one position that is the toughest to transition to going from college to the NFL – it is defensive tackle because you're facing like in college, you might you know you might be more physically mature, more more strong, stronger than whoever's on that opposing offensive line, right? Because um, they're you know and you've got guys in college who are 20, 21, and you're facing sometimes guys who are still 18, 19, maturing, growing into their bodies, trying to understand leverage and how they play and hand violence and technique and all those things. And in college, if you're a great athlete. And you're you're bigger, faster, stronger. You can get a lot of you can get away with a lot more things. In the NFL, the IQ and and, and the football knowledge is so much greater that sometimes your physical ability does not allow you that opportunity to take advantage of those you know those openings or those small windows that you would get in college, right? And I think I think we've seen that um, really kind of since week one. There's been moments where you're like, ah, he's, this isn't working there. You know, that isn't working there. And I think, you know, he's kind of at that point in the season where, you know, you're midway through the season, but also he's kind of been go, go, go since, you know, the end of his season at Houston, right, with with getting ready for the combine and the interviews right. and the draft. It's, 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 a, it's a grind, and it is a long process for rookies. Um, and there, there's, this maybe might be a point in the season where there, there is some fatigue, like, Fatigue could easily be a part of this. But also the struggles that we've seen, I think, too, with him not playing as many snaps as he is, kind of allows, and I'm sure it's frustrating on his end to not get those snaps, but I'm sure some of it is, too, take a step back, watch, learn, understand, go out there, take advantage of your limited snaps, let's see what you can do, and then we'll kind of go from there. 
One other guy in the defense that I wanted to talk about that's not getting it done, at least not right now, is Levi Wallace. Almost at the point where he's becoming a liability in the secondary. Not making plays on the ball. Jarvis Landry, that first touchdown of the game, the coverage was right there, but he didn't get his hand on the ball, and Landry hauled it in. In some ways, it was kind of a lucky pass and catch that he didn't, you know, that um, Wallace didn't get a hand on the ball. But then again, late in the game, that critical play, that 24-yard pass on the slant to Landry, Levi Wallace is right there, but he can't get his hand on the ball. Two plays later, guy gets shook out of his shorts on that game-winning touchdown by Broussard Higgins. He needs to be better at making plays on the ball, which he was last year because he's not a physical guy. His strength is making plays on the football. It's just not happening for him this year. Last year's like undrafted rookie, free agent, feel-good story of Levi Wallace is, I don't want to call it a nightmare because, I mean, now I'm being a little dramatic if I say that, but the guy's really struggling out there right now, and I think that's pretty visible to see. Well, who? I mean, you think about, let's go the opposite side, though, Trey White. His his rookie year and even his second year, what what did we talk about with him against receivers that were bigger and stronger? Physically, he he definitely struggled, right? Like yeah. when when Trey White went against AJ Green or Alshon Jeffrey, excuse me. <clears throat> you know he definitely struggled in coverage, and I think Levi Wallace is having um, you know some of those growing pains right now as well. All right, let's take a quick break so I can tell you about one of our show sponsors, Pulse Cellular. Today's lifestyle demands the best in wireless, and with Pulse Cellular, you'll have the best options available. Switch to Pulse Cellular for unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data, coast-to-coast with no contracts, no credit checks, no overage fees, one line for 65 bucks or four lines for just $45 each. That includes hotspot, Wi-Fi calling, and 50 gigs per line. For all you travelers out there, they got you covered in Canada and Mexico, plus text and data in over 200 countries worldwide, all with the best phones, or you can bring your own. That's pretty awesome stuff. Get the best user experience on mobile at PulseCellular.com, and let's get back to the podcast. Tremaine Edmonds, big safety, terrible early start to the game. Turn things around in a big way for him, though, with that safety. He had a couple other good plays. What's your thought on him? I still wonder at times, and maybe I'm entirely off base, and if so, you tell me, man, but I almost still feel like he's almost better suited to be an outside linebacker than he is a middle linebacker because I'm seeing him have issues getting caught in the wrong gaps or getting swallowed up in the running game, but he's an athletic freak, and he can make a lot of plays. Is he out of position? Am I completely wrong, or is it just part of the maturation process for him learning the middle linebacker position right now? I think all of the above. I don't think you're wrong in that assessment. Because um, I feel like there's games where we get we get done with the games and he's kind of been you're like, oh, he played today, right? Like we are yeah. like, oh, what, 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 did, what did he do? You know, the, the safety was huge. He's, ha- he's had those shining moments throughout the season. But again, too, I feel like in year two, there's there's still this process that he's trying to go through with the responsibilities that are on his shoulders. Has he been – I don't think he's been great, right? I, I don't think anybody would agree that he's been, you know, this this great 16th overall pick. Um, At times, you know, but not consistently, right. Right, yeah, that's the big thing. It's not consistent enough. Um, you know, lucky for him, he's playing next to two great guys in Matt Milano and Lorenzo Alexander. Because, um, and I'll be honest with you, I think Matt Milano is the key to this defense, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I think Matt Milano is the one of the best 
defensive players they have on this team. I think we saw that against Miami when he was out. I think we felt we felt that loss. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think being able to, to lean on Milano and Alexander goes a long way for him because I, I feel like they can – they can adapt and they can kind of make up for those mistakes, if that makes sense, yeah. on game days because of their hockey IQ and their knowledge of the game and, and you know, the speed of the game that they play at. They're able kind of to mitigate sometimes when, when he's out of position. So we look at the big picture for Buffalo, okay? They're 6-3 and three after nine games. And if you go back nine weeks ago and said the Bills are going to be 6-3, and three, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who'd complain about that. I don't want to take away from it. Record looks great. But this Sunday was a blown opportunity in Cleveland. The Browns were 2-6, and six, and it looked like they were just a team that were ready to be put out of their misery, and the Bills blew it, as far as I'm concerned. They blew an opportunity, and I'll tell you what, getting the 10 wins and making the wild card no longer, to me anyway, feels like a foregone conclusion because you just talked about Miami earlier during our interview. They've won two in a row. Ryan Fitzpatrick is dangerous. He could have he, – he, not he can. He does have those three or four times per year where he plays amazing and pulls out wins. So I wouldn't consider that Miami game a lot, especially considering how they came into Buffalo and nearly beat the Bills a couple weeks ago. Denver should win that game, but here's my point. I feel like those two games are absolute must-wins for me. Absolutely. And even if you do get those wins, okay, and even if you beat the Jets at home in the finale, which they should, that's nine. Where's that tenth win come from? Because after that, they got Baltimore at home, they're at Dallas, they're at Pittsburgh, and they're at New England. They have to win one of those four games, even if they sweep Miami, Denver, and the Jets to get to 10. That's certainly, I mean, it's definitely doable. Don't get me wrong, winning one of those games. But sooner or later, the Bills are going to have to win a game that they're not supposed to win if they want to get to 10. And that's the one thing for their six wins this year they really haven't done. They've won the games they're supposed to, and they've lost the games that they were supposed to. They're going to have to win one that they're probably not expected to win to get to 10. Yeah, I mean, the hope would be then... Baltimore has a bad game, um, <laughs> yeah. which I mean they look. I mean they look bulletproof, right? I mean Lamar Jackson and the way this offense is playing and the way their defense is playing. You know the maybe the hope is if you know if they need a tenth win heading into you know week seventeen that you know the Jets are are, are just enough of a dumpster fire that they just kind of roll over and play dead, yeah. if you will, like we saw with Miami a couple of years ago when they essentially you know quit on Adam Gase. Um, you know, it's going to be tough. You know, it's going to be tough. You know, lo- losing to this Browns game, uh, losing to this Browns team, I should say, I, you know, it it didn't completely change the complexion of the season, but being 7-2 and two is a lot better than being 6-3. and three. And it's a lot better when you're 7-2 and two and your offense is struggling than being 6-3 and three and getting pounded by teams you should probably not get pounded by. Absolutely, and that's and I agree with you 100%. And people who just say, well, it's one game, yeah, it is just one game. But, um, again, to me, that Cleveland game is a big-time blown opportunity because of the game that they should have won. And if they win and they get to 7-2, and two, they beat Miami, Denver, and the Jets, three games that they're expected to win, they could go out, they could lose by 40 points against Baltimore, Dallas, Pittsburgh, and New England, and they're still at 10-6 and six at the end of the year. And I'll tell you what, in the AFC, I feel like it's going to get a lot tighter. It's starting to get tight now. you got the Colts. The Raiders, the Steelers, they're all 5-4. Five and four. Tennessee's lurking at 5-5, five and five, but I'm not worried about them, especially because we yeah. already beat them. Heads up. But, yeah, I mean, basically at the end of the day, you've got the Bills, the Colts, the Raiders, the Steelers. Four teams, two spots, and the Bills are up one right now on all those other teams. That game at Pittsburgh, you agree with this? That might be the game of the year. That might 
that might end up being potentially for a playoff spot. Yeah, and think of the job that Mike Tomlin has done, right? I mean, he should be a coach of the year candidate. Sure. Um, with everything that, that his team has been through and what, what he's been able to do. And I'll say this, Mike Tomlin is a culture guy, and that whatever he's doing inside that locker room has worked since they got rid of Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell um, because he's, he's got a group that believes in the direction they're going. It, it's going to be a clash of cultures when Buffalo you know, goes to Pittsburgh, um, and we're going to see if, if, if Sean McDermott's way works or if it's Mike Tomlin imposing his will on this team. I'm with Nick Filipowski from Channel 4. Before we get out of here, I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about the Sabres. Let's complete a pretty crappy week of Buffalo sports. Yeah, that's one way to put it. Yeah, the, listen, the feel-good story to the start of the season for the Sabres, that's officially over now. They've lost four in a row, including two to Tampa over this weekend in Sweden. Less than two weeks ago, the Sabres were one of the top two teams in the league. As this podcast drops on Tuesday and people are listening to this, the Sabres, would actually be on the outside looking in. The playoffs began today. Not to be right. fair, it's only one point off a playoff spot, and, you know, there's still tons of season left. But still, things that went downhill pretty fast. What's going wrong right now? Um, cue up uh, Dennis Green's uh, famous rant. They are who we thought they were. <laughs> um, you know, this is, you know, the, the roster, I mean, sure they made changes. Um, but they still need more firepower, right? This 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 offense has kind of regressed back into being the Jeff Skinner, Jack Eichel, Sam Reinhart team. Yeah. Um, they need more secondary scoring. We know they have a plethora of right-hand defensemen. Jason Boschel's hand is going to be forced sooner rather than later. <clears throat> um, but I'll tell you what. The one thing that alarms me, and I mentioned this um, Saturday on our broadcast, you know, Ralph Kruger had mentioned in his postgame after the Sabres lost the second game of the Global Series, that this this is a team that is still learning how to compete against the top teams in the league. You're a professional franchise. I understand that he's a first-year head coach. Nobody in their right mind should be learning how to compete in a National Hockey League. Nobody. You either have it or you don't. Yeah. I think it's wearing thin on the fan base for both the Sabres and the Bills. To hear coaches come in and say, "Oh, we got to learn. We got to learn. We got to learn. We got to process. We got to process. We got to process." They've dealt with that for 20 plus years now. You got to get results. You got to find a way to win. You have to win. There's really no excuse. You know, we're gonna blink our eyes, and and all of a sudden, Jack Eichel is gonna be a 29 year old veteran, and his career is gonna be on the back half in Buffalo, and it's gonna be like, what what happened, right? Um, they got to find a way to get it together. They really do. Mike Harrington of the Buffalo News wrote a column recently, and he had what I thought was a very fair point. He wrote that the Sabres are on the path to raising the best team in October 2019. <laughs> yeah, I read that. Right next to the best team in November 2018 one that they earned last year. I mean, that's a very fair point. And how much does last season's collapse still weigh on your mind? Now, granted, this is just four games. Actually, they've lost six of seven, and it's early on. But after what we saw last year with our own eyes, that's still got a way on your mind when you're seeing what's going on with this team right now, correct? Absolutely. And it, it weighs into the the mindset in inside that locker room, right? Those thoughts, I'm sure, are creeping into those guys' brains like, oh, no, here we go again, which you never want to have, right? Right. Um, but at the same point in time, the roster outside of, you know, Marcus Johansson, Colin Miller, Victor Olofsson, 
largely remains the same with the team that had that epic collapse, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it's it is what it is, I guess. I mean, they, you know, Ralph Ralph has got to find a way to to tap into this team and, and kind of shake him out of it. Um, but it, it's it definitely weighs on your mind, that's for sure. You know, you you want to be able to thought process, and I completely understand why. Is you want Jeff Skinner on a separate line, you don't want to have all your good scoring on the top line. I think we all understand why Kruger's attitude towards that has been. But then you take a guy like just, you know, I don't want to single out one player because there's several players who are just simply not scoring. But Jimmy Vesey, no goals in 14 games. Now, he didn't do a lot with the Rangers either. He's not doing anything in Buffalo. How long do you ride with a guy like that before you say, you know what, i got to get you out of this lineup. It's time to start making some changes here. Well, if you're going to do that to Jimmy Vesey, what about Casey Middlestat? Right, yeah. Right? I yeah. mean, Casey's really struggled as well. Uh, I think he only has one goal, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's got two, um, but they were they were he's only scored in two different games this whole entire season out of 14 with all the minutes he's got in. Yeah, yeah. Actually, he had two goals uh, in one game. My my fault. Oh, that's right, that's right. Um, but uh, you know, it's it, it's it's perplexing the the lack of talent's not the right word. These guys are in the National Hockey League for a reason. But the struggles that they've had, I think, are very very long, right? I mean. And you can say, well, Casey Middlestad is still a young player in the National Hockey League. That's true. There's a lot of young players in the National Hockey League who are the same age as Casey who are making immediate impacts. Yeah. Uh, maybe their situations are a little better, and I understand that. Um, but for, for a guy who was the eighth overall pick, who Jason Bottrell sought out in the draft, he's got to produce. He has to produce. He is supposed to be the number two center of the future, and we're not seeing it. We're not seeing it. In the face-off circle, we're not seeing it in the defensive zone, and we're certainly not seeing it offensively. When you take a guy like Jeff Skinner, he's only got one goal in his last seven games. I don't think anyone is going to, you know, really fault him for that. So much. <clears throat> do you feel like it's time now to get him back with Jack and hope that Kruger could come up with some other combinations that could get cooking? Or do you think it's too early to hit the panic button and put all these three guys together? Because at one end, you're like, all right, you're paying this guy, what, eight, nine million, something like that. I don't yeah. feel like you're playing. You're not paying him that kind of money to be playing with Evan Rodriguez. You got to produce, and you got to have guys around him who can produce. What do you? Th- what's your thoughts on that? What do you? Yeah, you I think. Uh, I think. I think you give it maybe till the end of November, and then by the time December hits, you say, okay, we either got to press reset on this, or you make a trade and you get a number two center who can who can facilitate and and provide some boost to Jeff. Right. That that option is still on the table. I, I think the other the other part of the equation too. Um, you know, with not not just with Jeff, but this team as a whole, is the power play has has had a power outage. It's been putrid, right? Since since after the first three games, it's been it hasn't done a thing. It's been bad. Um, and even on the power play, you know, Jeff has struggled to to find the back of the net. Um, five on five, he's been good. Um, but like you mentioned, if you're going to pay him that much, he's got to be able to produce, and and he's one of the guys who. Um, has been good, but has not has not produced up to what that contract that he got is worth. Last question, and then I'll let you go, Nick. Starting on Thursday, they're going to have a stretch of 10 games over 17 nights. Obviously, that's going to be a very important stretch of games. How important is that stretch to you? And in terms of Jason Bottrell, do you feel like this is going to be the stretch of games, say these next 10 games over, what, less than three weeks, where if things don't start to get turned around, and they might 
seen themselves slip in a little bit more, kind of like last year where they got to a point where there was nothing they could do to stop the free fall. He's going to have to do something in terms of the trade market to to right the ship. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. If they, I mean, if this if this downward spiral continues, you know, if he, if he stands pat, there there's going to be a problem. All right. Good stuff, everyone. Follow Nick on Twitter at news four underscore Nick. Check out WIBB dot com. Of course, if you live in the Western New York area, check out Channel Four News. My man Nick's on there. Thanks a lot for doing this, man. I really appreciate your time, Nick. Yeah, hey, I appreciate having me on, Pat. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for another episode. Very big thank you again, Nick Filipowski from Channel 4 in Buffalo. Always like having Nick on the podcast, talking build savers, plenty of other stuff. Guys, if you have not yet done so already, please go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. Rate and review, all that fun stuff. Really helps me grow this show a lot. You can find us on Apple, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Got new shows every Tuesday and every Friday. And when you subscribe, you're going to get them before anyone else does. Also, go hit up the Moranalytics Podcast YouTube channel. Got podcast highlight clips from current and past shows up there. Plenty of brand new original audio content as well. Exclusive, by the way, to that channel. Not going to hear it anywhere else, including this podcast. I'm putting up stuff at least a few times per week now. Hopefully you're enjoying it. Again, Moranalytics Podcast YouTube channel. Subscribe. Hit that little bell next to it as well for notifications when new stuff comes out. Last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at PatMoranTweets. Constantly tweeting out podcast updates, upcoming guests, polls, Prize pack giveaways, thoughts, all kinds of stuff there on my Twitter. Again, at Pat Moran Tweets. Thanks again for listening. I say it every episode, and I say it because I mean it. I truly appreciate each and every single one of you that take time from your day to listen to this podcast, whether you're in the car, the gym, the office, wherever you may be. I'm very grateful, very thankful, very humble for all that. It means the world to me. Have a good week, and we'll be back on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you. So you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.